Welcome to Christ Church Anglican. We hope that you were blessed by today's sermon. So a lot of times you'll start off a sermon by telling a story, but this, this morning our text is so good that I don't think I need a story. I'm just going to start with the first verse. So verse 37 reads, and this is from John chapter 6, verse 37. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. I think this is so important for us, and I, I think honestly, we could probably spend a morning just thinking about this one verse. Because our entire life in Christ is confidence. It's a confidence that He will never cast us out. That when we come to Jesus, He loves us so much that He will keep us, He will hold us fast. Jesus also talks about how we are in him and how he is in the Father and the Father is in him. And, and so there's this kind of, you know, you see those little Russian dolls? Is that, they stack inside? Yeah. That's almost like what we are in Christ, right? Um, we are so wrapped in Jesus. We are so wrapped in God that we can't be lost. He will never cast us out. And some people will say, well, not me. I, I'm too bad. I, God would never forgive what I did. Uh, you don't know what kind of person I'm in, I am. Uh, you don't know the things I've done. Well, I, I've seen the people in the Bible, and I can, I can tell you, you're not any worse than Moses who murdered a man. You're no, you're no worse than Jesus, or <laughs> Jesus not worse, but <laughs> you're no worse than Paul who went around persecuting Christians and uh, put them in jail, right? So there's no way that you can tell me that what you did or what you are doing is worse than anything else, you know, that anyone else has done that God has received, right? God uses the weak people for his kingdom. So verse 37, the Father draws us to Jesus, and Jesus will never cast us out. Let's look at verses 38 through 40. Reads, For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. These verses teach us that we are secure in Christ if we remain in Christ. Let's look at also John 15, 6 through 8. John 15, 6 through 8, which reads, If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire and burned. If you abide in me, and my word abides in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be given or will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. So prove to be my disciples. Does God lead us to himself? Does God the Father lead us to Jesus, draw us to Jesus? Yes. But are we also responsible to cooperate and to actually respond to that call? Yes. And so we must abide in him to produce fruit with, in keeping with repentance, right? We can't just go and accept Jesus and walk away and think that we're good. 
The Christian life is about abiding in Jesus. It's about union with Jesus. One of the unique things you'll find in uh, Anglican theology, if you read our Anglican divines and you read our writers, they talk a lot about unity or, or having union with God as a means of salvation. And so when we are united with Christ, united through baptism and through um, Holy Communion, and most importantly, through faith, right? We are justified by our faith. And so we need to be united with Christ uh, through um, all those things. And so just as a, a, you know, a branch abides in the vine and produces fruit, we are not able to produce fruit unless we abide in Jesus Christ. We cannot become the people God wants us to be unless we abide in him. And we can't expect things to change in our lives until we start abiding in him. God has given us means for that. He's given us the church. He's given us the sacraments. Most importantly, he's given us his word, which we can go to every day and read and learn and grow in our faith. And so we cannot become his disciples, and we cannot prove to be his disciples until we do what he calls us to do, which is to know him, to grow close to him. And he's given us his word and his sacraments to do that. And so our salvation from beginning to end is the work of God. He draws us, keeps us, and raises us up on the last day. So you can have complete confidence that you will be saved and you will be raised up on the last day and you will be united with Christ and glorified and made, you know, one with, with um, all of the, um, the kingdom of heaven, right? Once you are raised on the last day. Because Jesus has promised that. All you have to do is believe in him, which also means you have to abide in him. So do you ever worry about your salvation? I know in my, my own testimony and, and Aaron's as well, um, and a lot of people I grew up with, uh, we were baptized multiple times. I was baptized twice. I was baptized as a baby, then I, but then I got baptized again in the Assemblies of God church, which I love the Assemblies of God. Don't get me wrong. They're great. Um, but we have to remember that our baptism is not based on our faith. Our baptism is based on what Jesus did on the cross. Our baptism is—the only reason our baptism matters is because we are united with Christ in his death. And so when we are united with, in, in his death like him, we will be raised like him, right? That's what Paul talks about. And so if you're worried about your salvation, don't be. Don't worry about your salvation. Just go to the one who offers salvation as a free gift, which is Jesus Christ, and he will raise you up on the last day. Verses 41 through 43. So the Jews grumbled about him because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. Well, just saying I am, if you remember Joe's sermon last week, just the fact that he said ego ami, which is literally a um, uh, remembering what, you know, Exodus, right? Uh, when Moses says to God, who should I say is sending me? He says, I am is sending you, right? When, Mo when God tells Moses, I am is sending you, to tell the Egyptians to let my people go, right? Um, Jesus right here is saying, I am the bread that came down from heaven. Verse 32, they said, Is not this Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How does he now say, I have come down from heaven? So they're offended at him because they know his parents. They know his family. They know he's, a Naz he's from Nazareth, right? The backwater town of Nazareth. They know that he is a penniless preacher who is basically homeless, wandering the streets, preaching repentance, right? They know who he is, and they are not impressed with his resume. But they are impressed. They are impressed with these words. 
And they can't, they can't put the two together. Jesus is saying, I am, and they're saying, who are you, right? I am, and they're like, so verse 41 through 43, Jesus is superior to the Old Testament manna that came down from heaven. In the Old Testament, God rained down manna because the people were hungry, and he needed to feed them, and it came down, right? And they would gather it, and then they would take a day off you know, on the Sabbath, and so they would, they would not gather any, but they would have enough. They'd have more than they needed. And the people that gathered too much, it would get moldy, right? You guys remember that story? Okay. Anyways, Jesus is saying, I am the bread that came down from heaven. He's saying, that bread they ate, and it was, you know, tasty. It tasted kind of like sweet honey, right? It was good stuff, but it didn't keep them alive forever. But if you eat, if you eat my flesh and you drink my blood, you will have eternal life which that doesn't help at all. <laughs> that doesn't help the situation at all because it just makes them more, more offended at what he has to say. Because we have to see that what he's saying is not a physical eating and a physical drinking because obviously he doesn't, he doesn't give us physically his body and blood in the, in the Bible. Um, and as Anglicans, we don't believe in transubstantiation the way the Roman Catholics do, right? Uh, we believe that we receive his body and blood through the bread and the wine in this Eucharistic meal. And we also receive his body and blood, his flesh, right? He gave his flesh on the cross. Um, that flesh that died on the cross is our bread and wine as well. So all of it is wrapped together. And if we believe in Jesus Christ, we are fed spiritually by our faith. When we approach him in faith, he feeds us. So they grumble because of their familiarity with Jesus and his extreme language. Is our familiarity with Jesus or his extreme language an obstacle to us coming uh, to faith in him? You know, have we been going to church our whole lives and things haven't really changed much? And so we see, we, we hear the same sermons. And honestly, you come to church every Sunday and you, you kind of get used to listening to the pastor and going home and having lunch and kind of going through the motions each week. Or do you believe that each week you should be a little bit closer to the goal. I have the privilege of uh, counseling one of the guys in Teen Challenge, and we we're just talking about, you know, in a game, right, you die. Uh, you may die in the game, but you always come back to, like, your, your checkpoint. But in the game, you keep playing the game, and as you go along in your game, you, you acquire further checkpoints, so you get closer to winning the game. But when you die, you, get you go back to the last checkpoint. What I'm saying is, in your spiritual life, in your Christian life, when you come to church, do you actually expect to get a little bit closer to Jesus, a little bit more sanctified, a little bit more like Jesus every Sunday? Or do you just come here and, and go home and expect nothing to change? Or do, you know, and you're going to fall. You're going to have problems, just like in the video game, right? Sometimes you, you fall, and, and in the video game, you die. And then you go back to your checkpoint, right? Um, you're going to have times when you fall back, and you might have to start over. And you might have to work hard to kind of work on that sanctification. Um, but at the same time, you're farther along than you were before. You're always going to get farther along. So don't get discouraged in your walk with Jesus when you fall, because you can always start over again. He's always calling you back. The parable of the, the uh, prodigal son is a great example of that. Jesus is likely making a reference to the grumbling of the, or sorry, John is likely making reference to the grumbling of the Israelites in the wilderness. They grumble because of their familiarity with Jesus and ex extreme language. So we must be careful not to become over-familiar with Jesus, over-familiar with church, over-familiar with preaching, over-familiar with the Bible, right? Over-familiar with the sacraments. We have to approach it 
new and fresh every week because God has something new for us every week. And he wants us to continue to grow. The Christian life should always be a life of growth. Verse 44. No one, uh, no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. All our salvation is God's doing, and that's why he, call, he gets all the glory, and we cannot boast one bit. Often we want to somehow earn or contribute to our salvation, but Jesus says that even our believing is God's work. So are we trying to work hard and earn our salvation? Are we trying to work hard to to become, you know, uh, more like Jesus? Or are we allowing Jesus to work in us? You need to abide in Jesus to be transformed. You can't work hard and harder, harder. You know that country song? I don't know if you guys listen to the country. I listen to country a little bit. Um, you know the song? Part of the, part of the lyrics is, he's working hard to get to heaven. No, working hard to get to heaven where I come from, right? That one? You guys know what I'm talking about? <laughs> okay. Anyways... It's, 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 a, it ha, it's a little catchy, but it, it lacks theology, right? Like, we're not working hard to get to heaven. Jesus has done the work, and we abide in his finished work, and he helps us to become sanctified. We cooperate and become sanctified through him. So, verse 45 through 47. Actually, let me go back to verse 44 real quick. Um, there's always been kind of a debate in Christianity between Calvinists and Arminians. And the Calvinists will say, it's all God, everything is God, God uh, saves us. He, he's, it's monergism, right? So monos meaning one, and he, uh, monergism meaning he, the one is the one doing all the work. And so he's saving us, he's keeping us, he's raising us up, up on the last day. Nothing wrong with that. I mean, it's true. But also, there's also synergism, which teaches that God comes and he moves us and he works in us and we cooperate with him and we're saved through that. Anglicans are really hard to pin down. We are not really Calvinists, and we're not really Arminians. We have Calvinists, and we have Arminians, and some people will argue that we're one or the other. Uh, but really, Anglicanism has kind of been an interesting soteriological uh, theology because we're saved in a, by God's work, but we're also, we also recognize that we need to cooperate with God to be saved. And so when Jesus call, says that the Father— uh, the only way we can come to, the, to come to him is if the Father draws us. We need to recognize that the Father is drawing us, but we also must respond. It's 100% God and 100% us. We both have, um, you know, we're both working in this. And so verse 45 through 47 reads, It is written in the prophets, and they will all be taught by God. Everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. Not that anyone has seen the Father except he who is from God. He has seen the Father. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life. Those who believe in Jesus because of his words and the words of God in the Old Testament have eternal life. Jesus talks to the Pharisees because they, script, they search the scriptures believing that in them they will have eternal life. But then Jesus says, you search those scriptures, but don't you realize they're pointing to me? All the Old Testament scriptures are pointing to him. The Father is already teaching us in the Old Testament, and the Father is continuing to teach us through Jesus in the New Testament. And if we respond to Jesus, the sheep know his voice, right? From John chapter 10, the sheep know my voice. And so if we respond, we are his own. So we shouldn't be so concerned about whether we're chosen or elect or predestined, right? 
that's not really the, the thing that we should be concerned about. What we should be concerned about is, are we responding to the call? And if you are worried about your salvation, I'm, I'm pretty confident in telling you that God is calling you. If you're worried about being saved, if you want to be saved, God is calling you. So if you have that call in your heart, respond to the free gift of eternal life in Jesus Christ. Verses 48 through 51. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness, and they died. This is the bread that came, comes down from heaven, so that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. So verse 51 is important. Like I said, he is sacrificing his body on that cross. Just as in the Old Testament, there's sacrificial lamb, right? There's always these animals that were sacrificed over and over and over again to make atonement for sin, to at-one-ment, that's one way to understand atonement, at-one-ment for sin, bringing us back to the Father, becoming one with the Father again. Um, In the Old Testament, you see all these animals getting slaughtered, right? Jesus is the one sacrifice for the sins of the world. He is the Paschal Lamb, the Passover Lamb, who takes away all the sin of the world. And so that is the flesh that he's talking about, is that he is dying on the cross. The cross is like an altar, right? And he's dying upon it for our sins. Jesus is the physical sacrifice that, um, that is our spiritual food during our time in this world. We look on Jesus by faith. This is why we must preach Christ crucified. Without a cross, there is no salvation. That's why a lot of preachers today, you hear them talking about how you can make your marriage better in, you know, three weeks or something. And that's not the point of the Christian faith. Do I want your marriage to be beautiful? Do I want your marriage to be wonderful? Yes. But the point of the Christian faith is not, you know, short little messages or or long messages about how you can make, you know, your marriage better. The point of the Christian faith is to draw near to Jesus, to be saved from your sins and to be restored. And when you become a new creation, you will be a better husband. You will be a better wife. You will, you know, be a better father um, or mother. But that's not the point of the Christian life, or it's not the point of church is to go and hear sermons like that. You need to have a cross in your sermon because the cross is what saves you. There is no salvation without the cross. So we look to Jesus by faith, and I love this. When I am lifted up, I will draw all people to myself, all nations, Jews, Gentiles, all people will be drawn to him. And so the point of being lifted up in the, in the wilderness, you, you see the serpent, the brazen serpent that's lifted up in the wilderness, right? You guys remember that story as well in the Old Testament? Well, Jesus is looking at that story, and he's saying, when I am lifted up, just like the brazen serpent was lifted up and all the people that were bit by the snakes in the wilderness were healed, you will be healed eternally. Not just physically, not just for a moment, not just fed by manna for a moment, but you will be fed eternally and you will be healed eternally by Jesus when he's lifted up. And so one of the things that I'm going to encourage you as you come to Eucharist today, as you come up, Jesus was veiled in flesh as he did his ministry on earth. He was veiled in flesh. And he went around and he he healed all these people of all their diseases and their various issues, right? And he 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 re- told them to come in faith, to respond in faith. When you come to this Eucharistic meal today, when you come to receive this bread and this wine, Christ is veiled. 
in this Eucharistic sacrifice, in this sacrifice of praise and thanksgiving. When we come to this bread and this wine, Jesus is veiled for us, and, and I pray that you would ask him to open the veil, that you would see Christ through the bread and the wine of the Eucharist, that you would see Jesus, and that Jesus would change your hearts, that you may become more and more like him through this spiritual meal together. In Jesus' name, let us pray. Lord, I thank you for your kingdom. I thank you for the fact that you all through the Old Testament and the New Testament have promised to be faithful. You've promised that you will be with us through the worst times and through the best of times. And Lord, you are our bread of heaven. You are the, the bread that came down from heaven and you feed us spiritually each day. You don't just give us promises. You are the promise. You are the sustenance. And when we run to you and to your word and to your sacraments and and, and we find you, um, we may be nourished and we may be strengthened in our faith and we may be saved. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for tuning in. For more information, feel free to visit us online at ccanglican.com. We hope you will join us again soon.